Welcome back to Renewed Focus, a short biblical podcast where we help each other have a fresh focus on Jesus by looking at how his word calls us to live in the everyday life. I'm Pastor Wade. Thanks for joining me. I believe, but help my unbelief. A lot of us have probably heard this famous passage of scripture before, and most of us have probably identified it, identified with it at some point in our life. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Bartley gave us a great message called Fingers Crossed. And in this message, it's, it's all about faith and doubt and the ability for our faith to grow. <laughs> and the fact is that we don't need 100% certainty, but the truth is that there's actually a lot more reasons to believe than to not believe. We have to be honest about the fact that we can't prove our faith 100%, but knowing this actually gives us the ability to grow in our faith. The scripture talks a lot about the growth and the maturing of our faith. We also know that faith is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit in our life, and we have to rely on God's power for this maturing of our faith. And as I was listening to that message and as I wrestled with uh, what to talk about this past week, I really started to push into that idea of faith and doubt. And this passage in Mark 9 came to my mind. And as I started to think through the concept of where our hearts and minds really need to be at for God to really start to grow and mature our faith. See, there needs to be a posture in our heart for that faith to really start to mature and to move and to grow. And so I want to kind of look at this passage and see what it has to, to what, how it deals with this topic of faith and doubt. So if you would follow along with me, it's, it's Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29. So it's a, it's a little a chunk of scripture, so stay with me, but I'll be reading out of the NIV. So Mark 9, chapter, four, or chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that was robbed, that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the body into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It, is, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do nothing, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that, a saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. 
Now, for some context to this passage, we know that Peter, James, and John were up on a mountain with Jesus before this passage that we just read happened. And they experience this thing that we call the transfiguration with Jesus. Uh, Jesus starts to glow. A lot of crazy stuff happens. If you haven't read the beginning of Mark 9, you should really read it. It's, it's really crazy. It's good. And then after they come down the mountain to the other disciples and the crowd, immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed. Now, why were all the people greatly amazed? Why were they so overwhelmed when they saw Jesus? Well, a logical answer that a lot of theologians will, will tell you is that Jesus' clothing was probably still kind of dazzling and white. It was still affected by this transfiguration. And it's interesting that this actually parallels something that we can see in Exodus 34. When Moses came down from the mountain and, and his face is still shining from meeting with God, and Israel even saw that. The same thing is happening here. People are being given a chance to behold a small portion of the glory of Jesus. They are overwhelmed with wonder when they see him. But that does not stop the mess that the other disciples find themselves in with the crowd. And you know, the crowd gets a glimpse of God's glory, but very shortly are back to, to clamoring and arguing. It doesn't kind of stop them. They just kind of keep moving. We can probably start, stop here and make a side note and say that coming into contact with God's glory, having, having an, an experience with God's glory, getting a glimpse of who he is, it should change the conversation. If it doesn't stop you and make you ponder about the direction that you're going in, that's probably a mirror into your heart and to your soul. Now, the disciples were acting as representatives of Jesus with the crowd, and they had been empowered beforehand by Jesus to deal with supernatural stuff. We know this from places like Mark 3 and Mark 6. But we see them start to figure out their limitations and their abilities, their insufficiency to actually be representatives of Jesus here. They, they actually can't do this miracle. They were faced with a, with a boy possessed with a spirit. And we read in verses 21 and 22 that the spirit had been tormenting the boy since childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, it says. Now, this kind of sounds like epilepsy or some kind of illness like that. And scripture is clear in differentiating illness from demon possession. So we need to kind of mention that, that there are physical limitations that we deal with, and then there is demon possession, and God does kind of separate those things out. And the Bible is clear that evil does exist. Some of us may struggle with understanding the spiritual dimensions that we often read about in the scriptures. But the Bible is clear again that evil does exist and there is an enemy that is against God and wants to destroy life. That is very real, very true. But what was happening here? The disciples were facing something that was out of their league. <laughs> they were insufficient in the moment and they don't know what to do. And we can see from Jesus' response that it's connected to their lack of faith. Have you ever felt that in your faith? Have you ever felt a lack of faith? Have you ever felt insufficient? <laughs> Heck, have you ever felt insufficient in life in general? Now this passage, we see the father of this boy wrestling with the same thing, and we quickly come to a key verse, the key verse that we opened up with today, when the father cries out and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. The main, the, the main theme of this passage is faith and doubt. 
And it first seems like a crazy statement to make, like what the, what the father says to, to Jesus. This seems like a crazy statement to say to Jesus in person. Hey, I believe, but help my unbelief. I mean, you're, you're, you're speaking to, to Jesus and you're crying that out. And it kind of seems a little crazy, but, but there's something beautiful in this. There's something good here. His unbelief is not good, but his, but, but his honesty is good. His unbelief isn't good, but his honesty is. The fact that he's honest with Jesus, the fact that he's honest with God himself, this is good and right and beautiful. It is the acknowledgement of our deficiency that allows God to work in our lives. See, a lot of us should be able to identify with this man during this season, during certain seasons in our life. During certain time periods in our life, we can probably identify with that cry. But the key that we need to know is that the acknowledgement of our deficiency that allows God to work in our lives, it's the knowing that, coming to that point. It is impossible for righteous people to be saved. We see this in Scripture. We see that, that, that it is right at the beginning of our walk with God, our admittance of not being sufficient ourselves, of being deficient, of needing something else, of needing God. Our admittance of our need for him is part of our transformation at the point of salvation. This is right at the beginning of our walk with him. You see, as Christians, we know truth and, and we know we can trust God, but sometimes we go through things where it seems to overpower our faith. We don't... We don't seem to have enough faith to follow him in that moment. So we ask for more faith. And we have to admit that even our faith comes from God. It, it has to enable us. It, it has to enable us to work out our faith. That's why our deficiency is the starting point for faith to grow in our life. Knowing that. When we get to this point, we can ask for what we need. When we doubt, we can ask for more faith. We can ask for more confidence. We can ask for more strength. You know, we, when we need obedience, we can ask for the ability to obey. And here is something as a believer wrestling with faith and doubt. This should give you confidence. Someone who is away from God or moving away from God isn't going to be interested in, in more faith. But somebody who's moving towards God somebody who wants to grow in their faith, somebody who wants to mature in their faith, they're desperately going to want to ask God for it. They're desperately going to want it. And they're going to rest in the fact that they're insufficient to do it on their own. And they're going to plead with God to grow it in them. That's a good place to be in. Knowing that our deficiency is, knowing that we are deficient is actually freeing. And knowing your faith has room to grow is exciting. And Jesus wraps up this passage by telling us to ask. We see at the end when, when the disciples say, why couldn't we do this miracle? Jesus says, only some things can be done through prayer. We have to rely on him. So to, to, to wrap things up, I just simply want to tell you. This week, if you are in a place of doubt, or if you want your faith to grow and to mature, Recognize your deficiency and start asking him to grow it. Oftentimes, what we talked about last, on the last episode, we talked a lot about relying on God's power. This kind of jumps off of that. A lot of times when we wrestle with doubt, 
we start to try to deal with doubt on our own. No, recognize that you're insufficient to deal with it on your own. And recognize that that's actually a good place to be in if you want to move forward, if you want to move towards God. Because you can be in that place and move away, or you can be in that place and move towards. But the person who's genuinely interested in God, and this is what gives us confidence as Christians, people who have placed our life in Jesus, we know that, 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 that we're all about Jesus, and so we know we want to move closer. Recognize our deficiency and start to ask him to grow it into mature faith in our life. Ask him that every day this week and see what he does. Thanks for being with us.